0: Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. Today is Resurrection Sunday, uh, and of course this is the Resurrection Sunday message that I would like to share with you today. At this time of the year on the Christian calendar, we celebrate the anniversary of Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection. And uh, as we understand that this time also coincides uh, with the Jewish calendar, uh, what they call the Passover festival. And of course, it's intricately tied together. We've got Old Testament and New Testament completely tied together. And you know, in the world, they call it Easter. Uh, My preference uh, for me personally is I call it Resurrection Sunday. But whatever you call it, uh, we need to remember that for the last 2,000 years or almost uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached around the world, proclaiming the good news of His sacrificial death and of His glorious resurrection. We are celebrating today with other believers around the world the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, right through to verse 7. And here is, Paul the Apostle speaking to the Corinthian believers, and I usually say what's good for the Corinthian believers then it's good for the believers at Victory Christian Center or wherever you are around the world if you are a Christian. He says, I passed on this to you, what was most important, and what was also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried, and He was raised from the dead on the third day just as the Scripture has said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have died. And then he was seen by James, and later by the apostles. So here is Paul, the apostle, speaking to the Corinthian church, and he's basically sharing with them the central truth of the gospel. And, uh, and, uh, and, and what is the central truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, number one, Christ died for our sins. Number two, He was buried. And number three, He was raised from the dead on the third day. This is absolutely the central truth, in fact, of the whole Bible. If we were to take the whole Bible and throw it into a pot and boil it all up and reduce it right down to its very essence. Or if you were to put it through a distiller to bring it right down to its bare essence, that's what you would come up with. Point number one, that Christ died for our sins. Number two, he was buried. And number three, he was raised from the dead on the third day. And actually, the Corinthian church that Paul was speaking to, that church was built... On this central truth of the Christian faith. And actually, every genuine church around the world has this truth as its foundation. You know, sometimes we teach from the Word of God on different subjects and different things, and it's right and proper to do that. But every now and then it's saying, okay, well, let's get right down to the basics and to the basis of things. And this is it Christ died for our sins, He was buried, and He was raised from the dead on the third day. It was a literal, physical death that Jesus died. He was buried, and in fact, if we had more time, we would go on into aspects of the Old Testament that that tells us that Jesus went right into hell on our behalf, as it were, so that you and I don't have to go there. And On the third day, He was raised from the dead. In fact, he says, no man takes my life from him. He says, I lay down and then I take it up again. And on the third day, he took up life and he came forth uh, as the risen Savior and as the Lord of lords and as the King of kings. Every individual believer around the world has this truth as the basis of of their Christian faith. And here in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 18, these are the words of Jesus. He says, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right. One day Jesus uh, asked his disciples, and he said to them, he says, Who do men say that I am? In other words, what are you hearing? As you go shopping, as you move around the place, when you're not immediately with me, what are you hearing? What do men say that I am? And they answered and they said, they said Lord, uh, Master, they said, uh, some say that you're John the Baptist risen from the dead, who at that stage had been killed already. Uh, others say that you're Elijah the prophet. Some say that uh, you, you possibly you're possibly your Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked the crucial question, And I believe that Jesus is asking us that same question here today in 2021. He says, who do you say that I am? First of all, he says, what do men say? What what do others say? Okay, they say this, they say that, they say the other. But what do you say or who do you say that I am? And here in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 16 Uh, and it's in your outline. Simon Peter answered, and he says, You are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a statement. What a confession. In fact, we call this Peter's great confession because right here, he acknowledged Jesus Christ as the one that was promised in the Old Testament as the Messiah, the Deliverer that was going to come to set the people free. And suddenly, Peter had this understanding. And, uh, you know, we know about the, the word Messiah. is a Hebrew word from the Old Testament, and it basically means the anointed one that will come to set God's people free. And the word Christ is from the New Testament, from the Greek, uh, from the word Christos, and it means the same thing. It means the anointed one. So Old Testament Messiah, New Testament Christ, same person, same title, just from a different language, if you like. I want to speak to you about the rock of revelation knowledge because Peter, his confession, the words that came out of his mouth was based on a revelation that he had in his own heart. It was based on an understanding that he had received from God Almighty. Jesus carried on to say, here in verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus replied, he says, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. You know, revelation is not something that we learn from another person, Like, for example, we learn information from other people. People can share their revelation, but there's no guarantee that we're going to get the same revelation. We hear it, but there's no guarantee immediately that we get the same revelation. Because revelation is a God-given thing. And Jesus says, if you seek me, you will find me. He says, if you knock, he says, I will open If you open the door, I will come in. So, you know, God initiates things, but then God wants us to move towards Him rather than sit there and say, okay, God, do what you can do. And as we move towards God, we are in a position, we have positioned ourselves to receive a revelation all of our own. So what's a revelation? Well, a revelation is a God-given understanding when He illuminates the eyes of our heart, not talking about our physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our our born-again spirit, and He lets us see things that we have previously not seen or uh, things that we have previously not known. Peter made one of the most powerful confessions that anybody can make. To point to Jesus Christ, he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Because I do say you're one of the prophets. I do say you're John the Baptist. But, but, but I say you are the Christ. You're the promised deliverer. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. My friend, let me ask you today, what do you say? Or what would you say if Jesus were to ask you, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? because you get all sorts of responses to that question. Some people don't know Jesus any other way than the the name is a swear word. That's all they know. And others say, well, yes, he was a historical figure. Some people would even uh, proclaim that they doubt whether Jesus was ever on the earth. But, you know, we have historians that tell us. We don't just have the Bible. We have historians that tell us that Christ did exactly uh, what the Bible tells us uh, he did. And others said, well, yeah, you know, he's in heaven. He's just a a long way away. So who do you say that I am? And in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus still speaking to Peter in front of all the others. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Greek In the Greek, that's petros, meaning a large piece of rock. And on this rock, in the Greek, the petra, a huge rock like Gibraltar, he says, I will build my church at the gates of Hades. The powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. You know, sometimes... Churches have sort of hunkered down and built kind of like a fortress around themselves and said, oh, we're under attack from the devil and from the gates of hell. The gates of hell is just another word for government of hell. And they've just kind of developed a, a mentality that we're under attack, the devil is attacking us, but no, friend, the church, we're attacking the gates of hell. We're going after the powers of darkness to dismantle them and to enforce the defeat that they have experienced when Jesus died on the cross and he paid the price by going right into hell, paying the price for our sins. That completely dismantled the devil and completely undid him. He's defeated today, but he's still operating. He's operating in the lives of ignorant people who don't know what Jesus Christ has done for them. So, amazing scripture here where Jesus says to Peter, he says, you are Petros, Petros meaning a a rock. But then he says, and on this Petra, on this massive rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when we attack the gates of hell, they will not prevail against us. We will absolutely bowl this thing down and undo the works of the enemy. Some say that Jesus built the church on Peter but that's not what Jesus said. And if he did, we would all be in trouble. You know, the church is not built on a man. Peter wasn't the Petra that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And it's important that we understand what Jesus is really saying. Though he spoke to Peter, he says, You are Petros. But then he said, On this Petra, on this massive rock, it no longer Speaking about Peter, he was speaking about something else. So some say Peter, uh, that Jesus built the church on Peter, and that's not the case at all. Others say that Jesus built the church on himself. You know, that's not entirely incorrect. But in the context here, it's not 100% correct either. Because though the Bible tells us that Jesus is the rock of our salvation, Jesus wasn't referring to himself in this specific instance. He's referring to something else. And here's the deal, friends, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus spoke about the rock, the Petra of revelation knowledge. Peter had a revelation. And my friend, once we have a rock-like revelation that Jesus Christ... It's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And once we receive Him as our personal Lord and Savior, we become as solid and as immovable in our faith as the rock of Gibraltar, if you like. Because that's what the Amplified Translation infers here. That when Jesus spoke about that Petra, He was thinking of a huge rock, not as a little rock that Peter was, but of a huge lo- rock like Gibraltar, Of course, the rock of Gibraltar, uh, many people know that that's uh, uh, on the southern coast of Spain. Gibraltar is a territory. It's actually part of British territory. And they say, I've never been there myself, but I've seen pictures. There's a rock that sticks out of the sea almost half a kilometer high. And when you stand on it, you're looking out over the Mediterranean Sea and looking out over uh, northern Africa, Morocco, and so forth. And they reckon it's just the most massive thing. And here's the whole deal. Peter was a rock, all right, but he's only a little rock compared to the rock that Jesus was speaking about. So Jesus, let me say it again, was speaking about the rock of revelation knowledge. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is built on the rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Once we have that revelation, we're on the rock. And yes, Christ is the rock of our salvation. But actually, Christ is the rock all around, but He's not there for everybody. It's only those of us that have received Him as our personal Lord and Savior. So this revelation of Christ being the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that unites us as believers... No matter where Christians are around the world, no matter what the name is on that church building where they go and worship God and come together for fellowship and for sharing communion and and, and receiving the apostles' teaching and so forth, it doesn't matter what the name is out there. No matter what denomination that Christians are a part of, it is that central truth that connects us together and completely unites us. It makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Is anybody excited this morning? (laughs) All right. Brothers and sisters in Christ, so we are absolutely united together, and yet that same revelation of Christ as the Son of God, it separates us from the world. There is a uniting, and there is a separating. We are separate. You need the the word church is from from the Greek word ecclesia, And Ecclesiastes speaks of a group of individuals that have been called out for a specific purpose. The called out ones. You and I, the born-again believers, we belong to the company of called out ones. We've been called out of the world, and now we are called to represent Christ to the world. Jesus hasn't taken us to heaven yet. He's left us in the world, but we're no longer in the world system. We no longer participate in the lifestyle that the world lives, people in the world, or that the world promotes. In fact, uh, he says, "You are the called-out ones." In fact, let me read to you, and this is not in your outline, but as uh, a scripture here in Corinthians, and still, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter six, and in verse sixteen. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So it's like Christ is walking among us today. He's here by the power of the Spirit. And Paul goes on to say in verse 17, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And you know, sometimes that revelation that we're speaking about, some people haven't got the full revelation because they don't understand the full revelation Lordship of Jesus Christ and what it really all means. Some people try to have a a foot in the kingdom of God and they try to keep another foot in the world. And depending on what time of the day or depending on what day of the week, they're either in the world and then on Sunday they try to jump back and so forth. And and though we go out into the world, we're no longer of it. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that we're in the world, but we're no longer of it. We are now a different people. We have been called out. And more and more, you know, people have said that sometimes there's people that sit on the fence. But my friend, there is no fence. (laughs) Fence is only imaginary. It's not there. We're either in it or we're out. And uh, as I continue reading here, in uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So let me just come back again. Uh, there's a scripture here, and this one is in your outline in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. He is speaking about us being called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. How did all of that come about? It started with a revelation. It started with a a deep understanding of what Jesus Christ has done and what He expects now from us as we respond to Him because He died on the cross 2,000 years ago, paid the price for the sins of the whole world. But that doesn't mean that the whole world is saved. We now have to respond. We have to, you know, he's, he's gone all the way, and now he expects us to move towards him. So every born-again believer belongs to this chosen generation, to this royal priesthood, to this holy nation. We've become God's own special people. And God has a certain lifestyle in mind when he says, I've called you out into a new way of living, no longer like we lived before. And of course, that message that Paul sent to the Corinthian church, he says, look, he says, don't you guys realize, he says, you've been bought with a price. You're no longer your own. And he's telling them these things, because some of them carried on living like they had lived before they got saved, they were in sexual sin. They were in all sorts of strife and all sorts of uh, uh, issues amongst uh, themselves and with people in the world. And he says, Paul says, don't you guys realize God's called us to a new way of living. So let me read to you, we're closing very shortly, uh, uh, part of the gospel of Matthew here in chapter 28 and uh, what happened here on what we refer to as Resurrection Sunday, sometimes referred to as Easter Sunday. Uh, In verse 1, it says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid, he says. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said he would. So here's an angel preaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How awesome. See, he says, come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. And the women ran quickly from the tomb, and they were frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. So the first individual that preached the gospel of Jesus' resurrection was an angel. The second individuals were two women that rushed to tell the men and praise God, you know, praise God for women and praise God for the message that they are proclaiming uh, around the, uh, the gospel and around the word of God. And uh, amazingly, you know, when they told the men that were gathered together that Christ had risen, the, the most of them didn't believe it. And Peter rushed out and John and they ran down to where the tomb was and, and kind of looked inside and they saw that the grave cloths were lying there, but uh, Jesus wasn't there. His body wasn't there because Jesus had a bodily resurrection. You know, Jesus had a physical death and he had a bodily resurrection. We're not talking about some metaphysical stuff here. We're talking about the real deal. And... Uh, because over the next uh, some 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples. Sometimes to just the 12, sometimes there was only a few of them there. At other times, there was a group of 500 believers together and Jesus appeared to them. It was just an amazing, amazing deal. And then thereafter, after Jesus appeared and basically giving them the message of, you know, the great commission to proclaim his You know, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he went to heaven, and today he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So the question is, where is Jesus today? Well, Jesus is certainly no longer on the cross. Neither is he in the tomb. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's become the Lord of lords. He's become the king of... Of kings. He's also the head of the church, and that's why we worship him, because he's the second member in the Trinity. He's God Almighty that became man to come to this earth to ultimately, after having lived a sinless life, he died on the cross, paid the price for your sins and for my sins, so that the divine courts in heaven were satisfied with the price that he paid And now salvation is available to everybody. Here in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, it says, Now He, meaning Jesus, He sits on the throne of the highest honor in heaven next to God. And just as promised, the Father gave Him the authority to send the Holy Spirit with the results you're now seeing and hearing today. And friend, let me just throw this in here. I failed to mention it before. To receive a revelation. It is something something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. When the Holy Spirit has been poured out 2,000 years ago, and He visits people, and He comes on people, and He opens the eyes of their understanding that suddenly they see. But God still relies on you and on I to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death, His sacrificial death, His burial, and His resurrection. And now God commands men everywhere to repent of their sins. And when he says everywhere, he means everywhere, you know, around the world. Acts chapter 13, verse 30. It says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. Here is, here is Paul the apostle speaking to the people in, in Athens and Athens at that time was a city that was given over to idolatry. And they had various statues, and they were thinking themselves really clever because they had a statue there uh, to the unknown God, and they kind of brought offerings to that statue. And, and you know, they tried, but uh, Paul says to them, oh, look, he says, uh, you know, th- this is really ignorance. But, but, but God is, n- is overlooking those times of ignorance. But now... He commands all men everywhere to repent because He is appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. And that word, man, in our Bible is written with capital N. It is reference to Jesus Christ. I said it before and I say it again because this is part of the gospel. When we're talking about being saved, what exactly do we mean by that? Being saved from what? You see, Jesus, there's intention of him coming twice to this earth. He's already been here once, 2,000 years ago, and he will come again in the not too distant future. The first time he came as the Savior, the second time he will come as the Judge. And as the Bible tells us here, that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. And what that really means is that we need to get saved and come out of the world because the world will experience terrible judgment. All right? He says, And He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. And right there, it is once again preaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, friends, as we study the Bible, we look at it, we look at it again, And we look at it again, and we find out that, you know, again in the book of Acts, the Bible says that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. There's only one door to heaven, and there is no back door. And that door is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the door. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And herein, So the only way to escape judgment that's coming is to get saved through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter ten, verse thirteen. This is the last scripture I want to share with you. It says, He everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the question is, have you called on him yet? Are you thoroughly saved? Have you had that revelation that Peter had? sometimes people think that just in order to, you know, dress up a little bit better or possibly even with religious clothing that they will in the end get there. In fact, some people go all out. They wear special clothing, special, you know, emblems around their neck, even with a, you know, Jesus on the little cross. But none of that means anything because Jesus says you must be born again God is not so interested in what we look like on the outside. He's very interested in what we look like on the inside. And friends, the good news is this, that once we are saved, once we are in Christ, we've passed from judgment into life. So if you're born again today, there's no more judgment for you, but the world will be judged. Let me tell you this, friend. So this is why we do what we can to reach out to lost people, Who's still lost because many of them are lost because they don't know the very thing that we are talking about here today. This is just one way of describing and explaining what God has done that God sent Jesus Christ into this world to become the sinless Lamb of God, the sacrifice that would be slaughtered actually at the time of Passover. And there's a whole story around that that we read in the Old Testament that we haven't got time to read but let me tell you today Jesus Christ is knocking on the door of every heart and for those of us who have already let him in he's no more knocking he's already here he already lives in us he wants to get into our lives. So my friend, let me encourage you, whether you're in this auditorium here today or whether you're watching through this uh, online facility here, I encourage you. We have a prayer in the outline here. And for you that are watching on the YouTube channel, you'll find a link to the outline below the screen. There's a prayer that we've written up. It's not so much the fancy wording that counts, but it's praying this very prayer from the bottom of your heart. I want to read that prayer out. Um, and I'm asking you to join me this morning. Let's read this prayer together. It's in your outline. And, uh, And this is kind of helping people that have never prayed this prayer before. But if you prayed from the bottom of your heart and you mean it, and that this is based on the revelation that you've got that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, I promise you on the authority of God's Word, by the time we get to the end of this prayer, a miracle would have taken place on the inside of you. You would be what the Bible calls born again. You would be one of the forgiven ones. You're part of the company of believers that the Bible speaks about that today we serve God because God has done so much for us. So this is a, what we call a salvation prayer. And I encourage you to pray with me uh, as we start right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save me. I recognize that I've broken your commandments and that I cannot save myself by my own good deeds. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've taken the punishment for my sins by dying on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I make a decision now to surrender my whole life to you and everything that I have. I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you that I am now forgiven and that I am born again. Please lead me and guide me and show me your plan for your life. Help me to be strong so that I can live according to your purpose and your rules for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.